everybody. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And welcome to another episode of Animates, first episode of 2021. It is an exciting time for all of us. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say it's a good time. No, no, I wouldn't say it's a good time. Um, tomorrow I'll be turning 28, which is interesting. There's still a pandemic ravaging the land. But it's definitely an interesting time. But you know what's even more interesting, Chris? What page? The land of ooh. Yes. In the world of Adventure Time. This magical um, place where, unfortunately, my friends, we are not free from the hands of totalitarianism, as we will see. <laughs> as we will come to see. Yeah. Um, so once again, we are talking about Adventure Time here. This is our penultimate episode covering Adventure Time, and we're going to be talking about seasons seven and eight during this episode. After this, we only have one more episode covering it because Adventure Time only ran for ten seasons. Only ten seasons. <laughs> Listen, when you're like me, you could have things run forever. I'll say the same thing about Steven Universe. It only ran for eight, seven seasons? I don't no, know. No, actually, I think it's technically only five seasons. Yes. Uh, and that's only if you count Steven Universe Future as a Steven Universe season. It is. Definitely. Yeah. But I feel like it felt so much longer because of the freaking hot. I will lovingly and hate and frustratingly talk about the release schedule of that show when we come to it. We'll be getting there real soon. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Um, okay, so seasons seven and eight, we've returned to a more normal amount of episodes per season. Um, as you'll remember, seasons five and six were by far the longest seasons in Adventure Time at each coming in at over 40 episodes, whereas season, season seven contains 26 episodes and season eight contains 27 episodes. Um, so that's like more reasonable, makes more sense, you know, there. And but like, holy shit, does a lot of stuff happen in these, um, you know, just over 50 episodes. I partially was taking a look at some guides. It, for those of you who are interested in watching, if you want to watch mostly episodes of Consequence, there are guides available that tell you... I wouldn't say that there's tons of filler, because a lot of stuff still happens, like a lot of character development. But if you want to watch, like, episodes important for the development of the show or ooh, there are guides for you. And if you use those, five and six do come out to be about 22 episodes or so. So I think what just happened is they just sort of trimmed the fat a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, but like, I'm always wary of episode, like episode guides like that, because it's like, well, who decides what's important and what's not? Because like, for example, to me, Hall of Egress is a very important episode, but not a lot like plot wise happens in Hall of Egress. So it might get cut. But I think if you want to like, understand the philosophy of the show and Finn's growth as a character, you should watch Hall of Egress, you know? Yeah, that's always the ticket, isn't it? There was, there are some guides that 
provide descriptions of why an episode is or isn't included. So that that's great because you can sort of decide for yourself. You're like, oh, I don't really care about Marceline, but I do care about, you know, Jake's kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, to be fair, that's kind of what we do here as we like, because there's there are also episodes looking back from like seasons five and six that I'm like, well, I love that episode, but we didn't really talk about it because, you know, we only have so much time. Right. Um, But here's what I think, like just kind of going through, you know, quickly. uh, I think that season seven really starts out like packing a punch with backstory stuff because if you'll remember right at the end of season six there is a fraudulent election held in the candy kingdom and king of Ooh is elected princess of the candy kingdom right and uh bonnie pb goes off into the countryside with peppermint butler to just chill and lick her wounds basically uh but she told Finn and Jake that their loyalty is to the kingdom and not to her. And so that they should work for King of Ooh. And basically he wants them to get him, get him into this locked room. That is, if you'll recall the castle in the center of the candy kingdom has a big tree going out of it. Right. And so they get him into this locked room and there's this like weird dragon sucking on the roots of the tree and like, pouring some kind of candy juice out of his like nipples and other various orifices in his body um and apparently that candy juice is like water for the it's the lifeblood of the candy kingdom but he gets scared and flies away so we're already in a very bizarre situation (laughs) i think that the best part of that episode i mean we end up finding out a lot when Finn and Jake run to Bubblegum to ask her what to do. And, I mean, we find out a lot of stuff, right? I'm not going to sort of... The the gist of it, the dragon's name is Nettie. Nettie is actually Bubblegum, like made of gum, just like Bubblegum, Princess Bubblegum. (laughs) I'm going to say that word a lot. Um... (laughs) And we find out that Nettie is Princess Bubblegum's brother. They both separated from the mother gum, as it were. Mm-hmm. You, you guys can't see it, but I'm wearing glasses now. I have to wear glasses <laughs> for some things. And I, I, motion, I, I tweedled my glasses a little bit when I said mother gum, you know, very <laughs> academically. You'll just have to picture that in your heads. And oh, thank you, Dr. Chris. Yes, indubitably. So we see them. Princess Bubblegum is able to bring Nettie back to the tree eventually. And she kind of explained like we kind of see how Princess Bubblegum was when she was essentially a baby, just like running around the world, just like interacting with it and trying to take care of Nettie. So like her entire existence she's taking care of her brother because her brother is scared by everything because I think it's implied he got dropped on his head. That's like she she spawned from the mother gum and just like touched down nicely onto the ground and he spawned from the mother gum and immediately like 
hit something pointy and got hurt immediately. So I don't know whether it's implied that like his he's brain damaged or if it's just that like his first experience in life was a traumatic experience and then everything was a traumatic experience and so he's afraid of everything. Considering that they're made of gum, I think the latter is more likely. Yeah, so it's like also Trauma. something that I something that I find interesting about this is if like so you look at the mother gum and then you think back it it was something that was definitely implied in the episode itself but um this previous episode I'm about to mention but uh it, this I think firms that up if you think back to the episode about Simon and Marcy you know, wandering around in the wreckage of the world and Marcy's got a cold and Simon's trying to find soup for her. And then they're kind of saved by this, like, amorphous pink blob that saves them from the mutants and, like, hands them some soup. Um, I think there's a strong implication that that is the mother gum. Yeah. that I mean, that's yeah. what I've always thought. That's what I've always thought, too. Yeah, and it's like, like I think that, you know, when you first see that episode before seeing this episode, Bonnie and Nettie, you think, like, that's somehow Princess Bubblegum in some other form. But after seeing Bonnie and Nettie, my thought is, like, well, it's not, like, I guess it's Princess Bubblegum and in the sense that it's, like, kind of her mom, you know? Uh, but, yeah, so basically what happens is, like, she shows that just the history of like being born with her brother and her brother just immediately needing a lot of protection and safety and her looking out for him. And eventually what happens is they find this, uh, this little tree that he like suckles at and it makes him feel calm. And she sings him a lullaby. That's like gum popping sounds. <laughs> yeah. It's real cute. Okay. Yeah, cute. One of the greatest things in this episode is there's just like an allegory for the privatization of public utilities. <laughs> and it seems <laughs> it seems so esoteric to try to do that, but it's like literal. Like so Nettie's discharge is treated like a public utility for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the king of ooh, the reason they even go m down there is <laughs> is the king of Ooh wants to privatize Nettie's discharge for money. He's like, we're going to charge three blah, 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 blah for whatever. And he's literally just, I mean, it's just that it's, I wouldn't even call it an allegory. Like it's literally just, he is. A depiction. It's a depiction. Yeah. And I feel like that's an excellent way to show children why that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, this is bad. This is like inarguably bad, you know? Um, but uh, what ends up happening is because like she has to like go help her brother Nettie, she realizes that she needs to. Um... Well, no, I'm wrong. Sorry, I was thinking ahead. Yeah, she just like puts him back in the Candy Kingdom and is like, King of Ooh, fuck off. Um, like, you're not allowed to, like, bother Nettie, which means as a consequence, he also cannot privatize the public utility. So, thwarted again, King of Ooh. He gets thwarted every time. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. So uh, it the next episode continues with the heavy bubblegum stuff. So in that sense, it's almost a continuation. It's called Varmints. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do. So Bonnie has basically become a farmer and she takes on the country. I mean, she wears freaking boots, a green and white. Like the only thing missing is deer tractor on the hat. And she's yeah, got a for shotgun. Sure. So she she's dealing with varmints and her pumpkin patch. <laughs> Uh, it's an her and Marceline episode where they hang out together and Marceline just kind of like comes over because, you know, she's heard Bonnie has been dealing with some stuff. She actually gets mad that Bubblegum hasn't told her about like losing her kingdom. And the whole episode is basically them opening up to each other again remembering the past like they find some graffiti graffiti they did together uh while they're running from these varmints so at the very end of the episode i know that's skipping ahead but there's a lot of development that is sort of hard to summarize here they mm-hmm. they end up in a really good place together uh yeah. op- open like wounds are healed and Bubblegum, I think this is the episode where she commits, like, she's like, I need my kingdom back. Yeah, I think it is, too. Um, my favorite part of this episode, however, is that, like, you know, uh, Bubblegum has, like, a sci-fi gun with her when they go underground to hunt the varmints. And she, uh, at one point, turns the gun setting to a setting that makes it, when she pulls the trigger, it makes another gun. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> she shoots the gun and it makes another gun <laughs> it just kills me man um oh man so i that's great because i don't know i i was saying earlier to Paige that it kind of seems like slowly they're getting back closer and closer and closer um to being in some sort of like more than friends i don't know if dating is right but definitely like really really close they have a close relationship yeah it seems like kind of like the bad blood whatever they were fighting about that like made things awkward between them you know for many seasons um seems to have like been dissipated like they've kind of like healed from it um so I think there are a few episodes here that are more like, you know, they're not like plot relevant and not like a ton of stuff is like happening, um, you know, plot wise. But I do want to just like mention the episode football because it's insane. <laughs> it's completely insane. It's like, so we know that we know that BMO talks to his reflection and pretends that his reflection is another person named football. And in this episode, like BMO and football switch places and like football comes out in the real world and BMO's in the mirror. But then like football tries to usurp BMO's like place (laughs) and like 
BMO is appearing and reflections everywhere and like threatening to get football. It's just, it's, it's, and BMO's like really like football is insistent the whole time with Finn and Jake that football is football and not BMO. And Finn and Jake just kind of think that BMO's going through something. It's a completely insane episode. Well, okay. So I think this is a perfect time to state that uh, in my opinion, we get really two. The show splits into two coherent streams. One stream is like very coherent plot. And the other stream is not that. <laughs> it is very absurd, disjointed and or philosophical. So they I feel like they compartmentalize a little bit where okay this is going to be a crazy episode okay this is going to be a co coherent story episode and that was always sort of there but i feel like previously they sort of intermixed in a light way but here they kind of exaggerate those qualities and usually an episode is sort of one or the other that's my assessment based on my viewing yeah there's less sort of like light little drops of plot sprinkled in random episodes that happens less often now it's more like no this is a plot episode pay attention you know these days and then some of the episodes that are not plot related you're just like what the fuck is going on here which is kind of how i feel about the football episode <laughs> Part of the reason I, I think I sat, I would give the description I just gave is because starting in this season, each season they do a mini series where they do a, a set of eight to 10, no, eight to 13, geez, eight to 13, no, eight, sorry, I was right the first time. It's eight, yeah. Yeah, like an eight-episode arc where everything within it is very tied together. So that... And these these episodes tend to have really cool, wacky things, but they, they don't... They really aren't absurd. I wouldn't call them that. So I feel like that really I mean, is, they're absurd, but they're not absurdist, is what I'd say. Okay, that's... A, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So the show feels sometimes very coherent for a while. And then other times it's just like, what? What? Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So in this season, right after the episode football that I was just talking about, we kick off the first of these three Adventure Time miniseries. And this one is called Stakes, um, as in like wooden stakes that you would use to stab a vampire in the heart. And it's really neat because it kind of starts off with Marceline deciding she doesn't want to be a vampire anymore. She's not going to be a vampire and she's going to not be immortal, but it has unintended consequences. And so we learn a ton of Marceline backstory from after she got separated from Simon and thus like also a lot of backstory of Ooh and like how Ooh began to grow as a society during that time period. And Okay, so 
if we try to summarize every episode, we'll go way over and we'll oh, be able yeah, to talk absolutely. about the next season. Um, uh, spark notes, right? More specifically, I think it would be better less to describe plot and more like what did the miniseries do well? What did it communicate? If anything, did it do anything badly? And were there any like lessons for kids talked about in this that apply to like our typical framework of analysis? Yeah, definitely. So I think that first of all, it was really good. I really liked it a lot. 10 out of 10. Um, yeah, 10 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. I thought the mixture of flashback and present time storytelling was done really well because I found both the historical story, like, you know, the historical part of the tale and the present tense part of the tale really engaging and interesting. Um, and I thought that they did a good job of like telling a coherent story while still having, you know, humor and action and all that stuff that we like in adventure time. Right. So, um, I, I, for the for the flashback story, I really like them showing how society begins to rebuild itself after an apocalypse, right? Because Marceline spends a lot of time interacting with humans. Um, and we learn that, you know, humans are generally very frightened, but they're starting to rebuild a sort of tribal type of society and we learn that they wear the animal hats because it protects them from vampires and we see them beginning to build new norms and cultures and traditions and ways of being but also weirdly pop culture from our world becoming um like folk folk culture and folk tales in this new human society, you know? And I think that that's so far as what we, what we know about what happens after civilizational collapses, it's like very accurate, you know? Yeah. As one of my favorite things is that it seeds a couple of things that pop up in future episodes, even in the next season. Uh, in addition, for that pop culture thing, making your way in the world today takes everything, takes everything you've, you've got. got. So it's really cool because the song that Simon sings to Marcy to calm her down comes up here where Marceline sings that with the tribe. And that's one of the folk songs they have. A mm -hmm. fucking sitcom Intro. Theme song. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. that was, I really like that. I mean, yeah. A general idea is Marceline has a lot of vampire essence inside of her that gets released when Bubblegum tries to heal her, essentially. We find out that all these vampires she hunted in the past come back. And. The quest is, I want to track them all down, I want to kill them, and I want to take their powers, but I don't want to become a vampire. So she was basically 
you know, taking their essence to gain their abilities without actually being a vampire. That was her plan all along. Yeah. She used the soul-sucking abilities that she got from her dad. Yes. In case you were curious, that was like, I was like, oh, when she explained that. Yeah, that makes sense. But, I mean, okay, so I'm reading vampire stories. And I don't know if this is kind of what they allude to. All right, so I'm reading Salem's Lot, which is a book by Stephen King. Um, Mm -hmm. And... There's lore about how, like, the souls of a person who is a vampire is, like, tainted with their essence of, like, the person that made them. And it seems here they're referencing that, like, if she absorbs enough of that, she becomes a vampire. Right? Because that is the one thing that I would say, like, is left unclear. And I don't know if it's meant to be unclear or not. Because what they show happening is in her final fight with a vampire, the vampire king, he kind of like lets her kill him, but also bites her. So to me, it's very unclear, like, did she just become a vampire because she sucked enough vampire essence to become one? Or did she become a vampire because he bit her? Because the first time I watched this, I thought it was the former, but now I'm thinking maybe it's the latter. It's unclear. Yeah, because the mark could have just been, like, at that point, she had absorbed enough and it was more symbolic than literal. Yeah, but it shows him biting her. I, I know. Like, I think yeah. in a medium like this, that line between symbolic and literal be- can become really, really, really gray. That's true, so yeah. So we're left, we're left wondering a little bit. Yeah. So all of the vampires possess... Uh, an individual power that ties to traditional vampire folklore, which is a fucking nerd, modern fantasy horror nerd. (laughs) I enjoyed a lot, you know, like hypnotism turning into beasts. Um, The only person who kind of bucks the trend is the vampire King, who is a lion. That was a a lion. It's really great. I love that when he decides to be cured and they suck out his vampire essence. <laughs> and Marceline's like, kitty. Because <laughs> he's just a cool little lion. And the lion sticks around. Yeah, he hangs out. It, it's pretty cool. I mean, clearly the vampire king is really cool because he actually wants to repent, essentially, to become not a vampire anymore. He wants to be cured. And... We see a really gross side of Marceline because she just wants to kill him. She's bloodthirsty. She's consumed by... This is something that happens to immortals in series like this. Their goals become who they are. Like, over time, their pr- their principles, their quirks, their flaws are exaggerated. And for Marceline, I feel like her either her aggression or her quest to kill all vampires becomes all consuming. And I think that's kind of like that's scary. That's there's good reason she stopped wanting to be a vampire. Yeah, it's like um, it's, it's interesting because sort of at the end, like 
the vampire king says he wants to like repent and stuff and he's like you know i like i like cast out my weapons blah 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 and finn's like it goes against my hero's code i can't like you know i can't kill someone who's like doing this and marceline's like i can't i don't give a shit because she's like nothing really changes and therefore people don't change either you know like i don't believe you like i'm gonna kill you basically but she ends up being proven wrong essentially you know and uh turns back into a vampire which is interesting because part of the whole thing with with becoming not a vampire anymore was dealing with the concept of mortality which is something she'd never had to deal with before so in addition to having all of these flashbacks about what was happening in her youth when she was hunting vampires and stuff she's also having all of these dreams of what it will be like to age um to grow old and to die and also how bubblegum will continue to be her companion but that bubblegum will not age with her you know and i think that part of the reason that she becomes a vampire again is because i think she ultimately decides that she's not prepared to deal with mortality yeah it's it's weird because traditional existentialist philosophy requires dealing with death by accepting it and that allows one to create meaning and live authentically and do do humaning <laughs> without <laughs> sure. feeling like stilted otherwise you're letting mortality essentially win right you're letting mm -hmm. it control your actions and your decisions and cases like this aren't real but they present an interesting quandary. Did she do the right thing by rejecting mortality? Is well, that I, is that a conquering or is that a regression? And that's what's interesting to me, because for me personally, I'm like, if I had the ability to like, you know, when people talk about like, would you want to have like immortality? And I, you know, my answer is always like, as long as I can eventually choose to die, because I think that there will eventually be a time in which I will want to choose to die, right? That like, I'll have done everything that I want to do, or that like all of my companions will have passed on and things like that. But I think like, something that is present in all of her dreams about the future is that bubblegum is there with her not aging and i think that a big part of her choice to remain immortal is knowing that like she will be leaving this companion behind and that if she chooses to live that there will always be this companion there with her you know which is not which i think changes the calculus because it's like would you be immortal and also like your husband is immortal and like there with you and you can like experience like the eons together i think might change the calculus for people you know that is a weird form of like reverse survivor's guilt yeah for sure death guilt which yeah no like absolutely 
I mean, and and I should say that like this is not unique to Adventure Time. This has been dealt with in vampire stories and just like fantasy in general has done this. They, I mean, shit, Tolkien did it with Aragorn and uh, Erwin. Mm-hmm. So I I like how they do it. And it is, I mean, it's certainly an elevation to do it in a children's show like this. I We can never forget, like, this is something that kids will be watching. So I, I definitely was pleased to see it. And it poses interesting questions. Yeah, definitely. I, it really does. Like, um. At the very end, Bubblegum reclaims her kingdom. Yes, definitely. Sorry, I was just, I got distracted thinking about what was, um, to me, maybe the funniest moment in Stakes, which is when the vampire, the moon, yelled pig at a lock until it opened. Yes. Oh, my fucking God. And they were like, did you just yell pig at the lock until it opened? They were like, yes. I think my favorite part was probably when the vampire uses hypnotism on the Ice King. And she later finds out that her hypnotism didn't work, but the Ice King was doing everything she wanted. Just because he's a simp. Just because he's a simp. <laughs> um, that was... We, well, we also learned that, like, the vampires have history with Simon. Because they were around when Simon was still Simon. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't show any of it to us, but it seems to indicate that basically, like... As Simon first tipped over the edge into insanity, that the Empress, the hypnotist vampire, took him as her thrall. And that was maybe part of the reason that Marceline was like, fuck you, I'm going to kill all the vampires. Um, yeah, I wish we could have seen it, but they, they packed so much in that it, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. All right. So at the end of Stakes, Marceline is a vampire again. Everything is fine. <laughs> Bubblegum Bubble retakes her kingdom. And we, we sort of move on through the next, I don't know, half of the season is just, yeah. uh, I don't know, untied episodes. Some unfortunate because we're, we're, we're sort of approaching a, a halfway point here. Some highlights for me from the rest of the season. Uh, Mo dies. Sad. And he is replaced by Mo, who is a Mo, like a robot, claiming mm-hmm. to be like the, the consciousness of Mo. Yes. So he's like, I died, my body died, but I'm still alive. It's fine. And BMO has to go back to the Mo factory on a mission and finds out that all of the Mo. Okay, that, this episode is like fucked up. Yes, it's, yes, it's really fucked up. It's so fucked. Like, the implications are that, like, all of the Mo's that used to be there have been compressed into a single, like, garbage cube that has all of their consciousnesses like smashed together. And all of this was perpetrated by Amo, 
the the mo that was designed to receive love receive love and he was banished because he was fucking crazy amo came back mo was dead amo basically took care of all the other mo's it's never really stated how no, he hacked their programming oh, and shit, made them right. all throw themselves into the trash compactor. That's right. That's right. And basically, Amo is now posing as Mo. And at the end of that episode, Bimo and Amo, the un- undressed Amo, battle for Mo's memories. It's... It, I mean, Bimo ends up winning, and yeah. Amo is cast into the void. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like everybody like comes up to Bimo and they were like, "Hey, buddy, do you want to go home?" And he was like, "I need to sit here for a while. I think I just killed someone." So it it's just a really like I was sort of taken aback by how dark that particular episode was it was it was also like a meditation it was a meditation on growing up and it was like unabashedly dark because like growing up is painful and terrifying you know so bmo the whole reason amo sent bmo away because he's like well when mo's come of age they have to take a pilgrimage back to the mo factory and that was like BMO was like, this is, I'm time to become a grown-up. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Dark, dark episode. Yeah, for real. Super dark. Um, One that's, like, not dark at all, but is a big highlight for me, is the episode Angel Face. Um, because it's, it's BMO wants to get everyone to participate in an in incredibly elaborate cowboy LARP. For him, and he gets everyone to do it by giving them special sentient sandwiches, which kill me every time. It shows him, like, you know, um, making them, and he's like, one fine aged cheddar man, like fresh black pepper fart, you know, like every part of the sandwich is sentient. And um, <laughs> when he gets Blake to, like, uh, he gets uh, Jake to do it. He's like, Jake's like, no, I don't want to do it. And he's like, do you know how long it took to acquire all of these ingredients on the special market? (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, Jake takes a bite and he's like, oh, it tastes alive. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Blank Eyed Girl is a really cool episode about urban legends. Yeah, dude. Uh, Yeah, like, it's also unclear because it's like what are they <laughs> everything that they think they are it's unclear what it is and eventually they're just some kind of like worm things and then they like leave oh god um so one one very important episode is crossover crossover is an episode where prismo basically informs finn do you remember that aborted timeline all the way back from season five. And Finn's like, no. Well, and then- that timeline still exists. And mm. some really 
bad shit. In that timeline, your Finn, who is the Ice King, found the Enchiridion of that world and is going to open a portal to the multiverse. And he's going to fuck shit up. So I have been tasked by my boss, Prismo says. You don't want to know who my boss is. <laughs> to go fix it. So they have to go into the aborted timeline. Okay, it's an alternate timeline because it. I guess it. it's some Doctor Who like bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The, it's time, like... the timeline doesn't exist, but it also still exists. It, it's fucking don't weird. think about it too hard <laughs> yeah, don't think about it too hard and basically finn is freezing all the people from that world to try to take them to a new planet or a new dimension but we but find out remember that like there's like the jake lich also in this timeline yeah so the lich king is basically that version of the lich king which brings up the prospect that there are multiple Lich Kings. I always thought of him as sort of a gestalt of death. Right? He represents a totality. So there should only be one. There should only be one in the multiverse. But I guess that's not true. So there are many Liches, which is a terrifying prospect. Yeah, but also maybe there aren't because like the like what was once the lich is now sweet pea. So there is no lich in the, like the part of the multiverse that we usually interact with. So, you know, like it's unclear, but like throughout this episode, Finn struggles because he is basically being asked to destroy himself and he struggles to do that like he like feels empathy for himself he identifies with himself <laughs> and he can't just he can't destroy this version of himself it's not it's too um the cognitive dissonance is too intense and he can't do it eventually they do manage to find a way to dispatch the lich get finn help like removing the crown from him it it ends up being some really really fucking hand wavy timey wimey bullshit too um yeah basically for sure. however prismo goes back in time to make sure that finn doesn't pick up the crown but the timeline at the point where finn our finn is continues as if everything else had happened which makes absolutely no fucking sense no fucking sense at all it irritates me because it's like but like essentially the way that they show it happening kind of makes it it makes sense because it's like it's like prismo is editing a tape you know it's like so we have this tape of everything that happened and he just cuts one frame out of it and so like that means that like everything like so he paced it back together and then everything happens but then at the point in time of the tape where new things are happening it changes what's going to happen because of the frame that got cut out you know like it makes more sense if you think of it that way time time does not work like that how do you know okay fine <laughs> 
But the most actually, the most important part of this episode is that, um, like Jake Lich has a big giant dog Lich hand that gets cut off and falls into the interdimensional portal. And then we see it split into infinite hands and fall into each dimension. And, and it actually falls through, falls on top of BMO in the treehouse in like the dimension that we interact with. Best part of that episode, uh, the maid. Yes. <laughs> uh, Every boy needs a maid. I, I don't even remember what the saying every, is. I think it's every man needs a maid, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, a device that they're supposed to use to get rid of Finn. Yeah. Um, the next episode after that is Hall of Egress, and that's... Okay, so there are two really important episodes left in this season, and we have to move on. But mm -hmm. talk about Hall of Egress real quick. Hall of Egress is this episode where, like, Finn and Jake, okay, so they're going to find, like, a dungeon to have fun in, and Finn goes ahead and goes into the dungeon without Jake and immediately steps on a trap, which he's irritated by because apparently there aren't supposed to be traps in the foyer. The foyer is a safe zone. But he just kind of wanders through this dungeon for a while, and then... He's in a room where there's, like, nowhere else to go anymore, but there is a wall that's labeled Hall of Egress. And, you know, he's trapped in this room, and he can't get out, and he's getting frustrated, and finally he falls back against the door that's labeled Hall of Egress and, like, kind of phases through it, and then he opens his eyes, and he's back in the room. So essentially what happens is he closes his eyes and goes through the door and there's like a maze and he spends a significant amount of time figuring out the maze. And then finally, when he gets out of the maze into the real world, he finds out that every time he opens his eyes, he enters, he finds himself back trapped in that same room. So eventually what he does is he like, because Jake keeps forcing him to open his eyes over and over again after he makes it out, um, and he, like, never remembers that this has happened before, you know? Um, so he basically just goes and he blindfolds himself and goes and wanders the wilderness as, like, a feral man. And then eventually, like, wanders. So, oh, and also, by the way, whenever he, like, explains the whole story to Jake when he, like, makes it back and has his eyes closed... Then they go back to the place where the dungeon should be. It's not there. Like, so, like, after he, like, lives as a feral man, like, wandering the world, blindfolded, he, like, just through sheer instinct, wanders back into this same place. And then he, when he, then to go through, like, the Hall of Egress door, he has to open his eyes. And then he's, like, able to see everything around him, and he goes through the maze very easily and back out, and he's back on that same day where he originally went into the dungeon. And it's completely insane. What does it mean? What does it mean, Chris? Honestly, I don't know if you're supposed to lift meaning from it. Like, you can create it, but I don't know if there's any there to find. It's like, it's, 
when I watch it, I'm like, there must be a lot of meaning here, but I'm struggling to grasp it. Sometimes a cigar is a cigar. You know, that's yeah, maybe it is. Saying. Yeah, that's true. It's one of those things where I'm like, am I not smart enough for this children's program? <laughs> I mean, you could probably talk about some bullshit about, like, what is really seeing the world or stuff. But I think it's just supposed to be a trippy dungeon. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I really like it. I think it's a great episode. It's great. It is. It's just very weird. The only other thing that I want to bring up is Finn has what I would consider his first, like, really good romantic interaction. Not for like it ends well. Yeah, definitely. Basically, he's just like hanging out with Huntress Wizard. Um, and like Jake's really insisting that like Finn is into Huntress Wizard, and he's like, No, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. Um and then in the end, he's like, Yeah, I am into Huntress Wizard, and he says, you know, I'm into you. And she says, I think I'm into you too. But, like, we're both, like, solo types. Like, we're both, like, heroes who, like, help the world. And people like us, like, can't fall in love. And Finn's like, I agree. And Jake is over on the side. He's like, no, you guys are wrong. <laughs> but then he and Huntress Wizard, like, don't go out. Um, and, like, it's chill, you know? Yeah. Also, um, he becomes immune to electricity in this episode. Which comes up later. Yes, it does. All right. Oh man. Season 8 is better in my opinion. Okay. There's not a single episode in season 8 that I dislike. Um... Uh, would jelly beans have power is meh, but other than that I I okay, so episode 1 of season 8 busts onto the scene with a very intense Simon Bonnie episode. Basically, yeah. uh, not Bonnie. Wait. Betty. Betty. So Bubblegum and Marceline go to a party with the Ice King, like a dinner party. Mm -hmm. And his crown has been malfunctioning. Bear in mind, before this, we have seen someone f messing with his crown. Like, he got stolen a while back with Betty. So we get the consequences of that in this episode. Basically, think of the crown as, like, a virtual world unto itself where the minds of its previous users exist. Marceline and Bubblegum go into this world to determine what's wrong with the crown. And we see Gunther. Like the dinosaur Gunther. We see Simon, unad unadulterated Simon. Mm hmm. And some other people. Santa. Santa. We see Santa. Also, by the way, in case anyone was curious, Gunther the dinosaur is vo voiced by Bobby Hill. Like the same woman who voices Bobby Hill. I care about that. I figured you would. So. Also, M Martin. Martin is voiced by 
Bill Dotrieve from King of the Hill. Yeah, so is... um. No, I think that's the big one. Um, So we get to talk to Simon a lot, but basically a virtual avatar of Betty is inside of the crown trying to fix him. Betty as the insane magic woman that she now is. We talked about that last episode. It's a really sweet episode about a lot of conversation happens that I can't exactly recall, but... Kind of the gist of it is they get Betty to stop and regain her, like the avatar of Betty, because it's not actually Betty, to regain her sanity a little bit. And she and Simon have a conversation, which is nice. At the end of the day, the Ice King is still the Ice King, but they managed to stabilize the crown. And... I think Bubblegum walks away understanding the situation a little bit better. Yeah, but you're forgetting the most important part of the episode, which is that the we find out that the first Santa wore the ice crown. <laughs> that is the most important fact. That's the most important part of the episode. <laughs> Let's see, what else? I mean... I want to talk about each episode, but they're just, it's just not possible. We just don't have time to talk about every episode. One of my favorite, one of my favorite moments in the season is from episode two. Finn gets a pair of eyes that turn, that change the world according to what he perceives. And he turns Jake into a frat bro brother. Yeah. He's the, an awesome sweater, bro, as Jake puts it. All right. The best part, though, is he he turns bubblegum into a tomboy crush. Oh, my God. It's so funny. She, he, she's like, Finn, what's going on with this? And she's like, I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. And so bubblegum is basically like, oh, well. Teen boy heartthrob it is. Teen boy heartthrob it is. And it... <laughs> it is fucking amazing. I just think about Finn screaming, I don't know, I'm not a psychiatrist, and then running away. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, Lady Rainicorn of the Crystal Dimension is great. Yeah, that's like a... Because it's, like, interesting, like, Lady Rainicorn backstory that you're, like... Because it's also, like, mentioned that, like, oh, there were horrible wars between, like, Rainicorns and dogs for, like, thousands of years or whatever. But you get to, like, see a little bit about that world and its politics, you know? Which basically, I mean, they coexist, but a young, artsy rebel, Rainicorn, was Lady Rainicorn's first boyfriend... And he sucked. And he sucked. And basically, uh, which one of their children? It's TV. TV. Or TV. TV gets roped into the machinations of her ex, of, of Rainicorn's ex. Of course it would be TV. He's definitely the most easily manipulated. Who is voiced by the same person who voices Tina on Bob's Burgers. Yes. 
and basically La Lady Rainicorn has to go to the Crystal Dimension and become a badass to save her son. Yeah, um, that's that's basically that whole thing. It's fun. It's a fun episode. You're like, oh, okay, that's like that's different stuff, you know. I am a sword. Um, that this one's actually important plot wise, actually. Well, so, so do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I am a sword. Finn has. The Finn sword, which is him from the previous timeline where they were saving Prismo. And. Basically, he loses the Finn sword. Through a really stupid act and. Mm -hmm. Bandit princess uses the sword for evil and it really fucks him up. And at the very end of the episode, the grass sword shatters the Finn sword. Not like the whole sword, just like the part where Finn's face is and hangs out. Just that part, right? And basically, um, he loses, like, the sword no longer talks. Yeah, basically. Um, and that comes up later. Like, later we find out, like, Finn is very depressed over this. <laughs> like, he is not handling it well. But that's, like, that's in a few episodes. There's a few things in between. Um, so then there's Bun Bun, which is mostly just, like, it's just adorable. Like, like, Cinnamon Bun comes back to the Candy Kingdom to run an errand and um, like he's doing good in, in the Flame Kingdom, but uh, PB thinks like maybe he's lonely without any other candy people. So she makes like a very adorable miniature Cinnamon Bun who is naturally resistant to fire um, and sends her, like sends her to go be like Cinnamon Bun's like squire basically. And Bun Bun teaches him kind of like how to have fun again because he'd gotten really uptight. But also what she does is like releases the old flame king, but then like teaches him like softness. And so like the flame king just like ends up in a cave in the woods with some chipmunks like ruling over a small chipmunk kingdom hanging out with Bun Bun. Yeah, it's it's an episode about the power of childhood innocence to reform people. Yeah. Also, the B plot of that episode is like Finn and Flame Princess hang out. Um, and he gives a true understanding apology and she forgives him. Yeah. And then they're able to like, they're able to actually hang out as friends, which is really cool. Like, it's really good because we talked about how like when they broke up, like his whole like, I said I was sorry thing. Like, it's like, well, bud, that's not good enough. But like, he even says when he gives this apology, like, I said I was sorry at the time, but I didn't really understand. And now I really understand. And I'm really sorry, you know? And it's like, yeah, gross. <laughs> uh, normal man is great. Beca okay, so the theme of this episode is repairing... The lost, repairing the damage done by your insanity, which is really weird. Um, so remember that normal man used to be magic man. And he's no longer insane. So he's trying to do things like save his brothers. 
gob, grod, glob, and ugh, I, I never. Can... I, be I believe it's glob, gob, grod, and grob, I believe. <laughs> grob, that's the one I always forget. Yeah. By the way, also, this um, episode is mostly Tom Kenny talking to himself. Which is great. I love that. <laughs> and he he ends up becoming the king of Mars. This episode is great, has some excellent jokes. The plot is basically what I just said. But they have to... He and Finn and Jake help him. And... They help him to rescue one of his brothers from Tiny Manticore, who is betrayed, who is taking his revenge. Unnormal man. They have to go up a trapped mountain. And on this mountain, there are many dangers. And some of those dangers include mind controlling parasites, weakened survivalists. <laughs> that dude that nobody really messes with. Regular-sized manticores. Bandit archers. Oh, my God. And they basically race up the mountain, like, tearing through all of these perils. And also, it's, it's it, seems, it seems that the peril that the weekend survivalist posed is that they're just going to, like, talk to you about survivalism and be really annoying. <laughs> Excellent. Um, oh, my God. So All right. We... Let's speed, uh, as painful as it is, we should speed through the rest to islands. Well, the next one actually is important because it's elemental and that sets up a lot of stuff. Like, basically, um, the Ice King ends up digging up this big ice sphere and they open it up and they find out that inside is Patient St. Pym. And she was the ice elemental before the Great Mushroom War who would not accept the fact that she would die and the element she embodied would live on and froze herself. And she ends up kidnapping Princess Bubblegum, Slime Princess, and Flame Princess and is like, you guys are all also the other elementals and shows Slime Princess and Princess Bubblegum that they have like powers that like Slime Princess can squirt a bunch of slime. And I guess like, Princess Bubblegum can shoot a bunch of jelly beans out of her hands and stuff. Um, but yeah, and then so Patient St. Pym sucks, but it's still like roommates with the Ice King. And now we know we've seen the elementals in the past before, but now it's been made explicit that the four elements are ice, fire, candy, and slime. <laughs> and that all the elementals are present in this current time and have power. Uh, let's see. Preboot and reboot are really important because they basically involve the origin of Susan Strong and the introduction of a really bad person. Yeah, so it's like preboot. They somehow come across like they're hanging out with Susan and they like come across a mysterious stranger named Dr. Gross who is a person, but, like, also a cyborg and, like, has a whole menagerie of animals that she's, like, upgraded with, like, cybernetics and, like, other robotics and stuff like that. Um, but then she wants to forcibly 
robot ties like all of them. She, um, she think of her like she's sort of a prototypical mad scientist, mad scientist, but she's not. I wouldn't call her insane. I would say that she is a scientist with strong ideology about progress and she lacks like wholesale any ethical framework. Oh, yeah, for sure. She has no ethics at all, dude. She's not insane. She's completely in control of her faculties. She just, like, believes that everyone should be robots and that it's okay to force them to do that, you know? Um, so, like, the main thing at the end of this is that they discover that Susan already has a cybernetic implant and then her ship gets destroyed and falls down a chasm and her menagerie gets out, including a giant electric eel. And oh. <laughs> uh, Reboot is essentially an episode about Susan who go her, her implant gets hit and reactivates and Susan tr basically tries to capture Finn and they have to fight Susan and she gets really really hurt at the very end yeah and also Jake gets really really hurt and Finn gets really hurt and fun fact his arm pops off again and um the grass sword like pops like the grass sword tries to like kill Susan and he can't control it and his arm pops off again and the grass sword goes and fully merges with the fin sword and creates some kind of like grass man and that's all we see at the end of that episode his name is fern yeah it his name becomes fern because essentially what it creates we find out is a grass fin and he tells princess bubblegum all about it and because he's very suspicious of the grass fin because the grass fin seems to have no awareness that he is not the real fin. And so he tells Princess Bubblegum all about it. And she's like, no, dude, he's not even from like an alternate timeline. He's just you, you know? So it's just like fin made out of grass, you know? And um, so that guy's just like around now. There's and There becomes an existential question about is your clone you? How are you different? How can one separate themselves from you, even though they've come from you? There's questions that I suppose are common amongst teenagers, but this is even more intense because the person has Finn's memories. So it's an interesting... We see Fern try to eventually separate himself from Finn in a way that's like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not really you. And he gets kind of touchy at the implication that others think he is Finn. Yeah, it, it's interesting too, because it also shows that like, it shows memories of like when the Finn, like he has memories of being the Finn sword that when it was shattered, like there's just kind of like a little room where little Finn is. And he's like, he can't interact with the world anymore. But then also the weird little like grass octopus creature that is like the curse, I guess, part of this fin sword is like in there and turning everything in sort of like a grass web. And he like cocoons 
like thin up and stuff. And so there's like an implication that like, well, Grassfin, who decides to be called Fern, is Finn, but is also not Finn because maybe there is maybe this cursed creature is also a part of him as well, you know? Um, and he seems to also like have a hard time knowing limits. Like when he begins enacting violence, he like goes pretty far and he seems to not also um like have have trouble distinguishing like who deserves it and who doesn't, you know? Yeah. Um also real quick fun fact from this episode, Dr. Princess says that she became a doctor because she was just there at the hospital and her first name is Doctor. Which she's also revealed earlier in the series that princess is a surname. So she is neither a doctor nor a princess, but is just named Dr. Princess. Um, I want to tell you all, you all need to focus very intently on the episode High Strangeness. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't know what I can say that it, it'll ruin it if I talk about it. Yeah, it's like I want to talk about it, but I also don't want to like if you haven't seen it, I don't want to like reveal anything about like also, by the way, for the record, like Pendleton Ward is his his he's still involved with the show, but it's mostly as like an executive producer, you know, like he mostly does it like he's he's credited in every episode, but mostly he's an executive producer. He wrote and storyboarded this episode. Of course he did. Him him and someone else, but he like this is the only episode in season well that's not true. There's a, there's there's one in Islands, like he's involved with Islands, but like he's mostly just an executive producer and like a creative advisor and things like that. But this one of all episodes, he fucking wrote and storyboarded. Uh all right. So the second mini series is called Islands. Finn basically discovers that there are humans maybe on some islands out in the ocean. And he's going to go with Susan to discover what is out there. Mm -hmm. And it is an eight episode miniseries that involves their travels to and trekking over these little archipelago, basically this archipelago. And again, just like we did with Stakes, summarizing the plot, you should watch it for yourself. But the Mm -hmm. spark notes is basically Finn discovers what remains of humans from discovering a failed colonization attempt to a society completely absorbed into virtual reality to the last island where humans still remain prosperous, quote unquote. It's all story and the implications and the themes that they deal with are pretty heavy. I mean, it arguably has the heaviest episodes of the entire show so far. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's questions of freedom 
prosperity totalitarianism? What does it mean to... What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free? How do you reconcile with the past? How do people respond to trauma and like questions of there's just like a lot it's a lot and knowing where to start is kind of hard for me but yeah I mean definitely because it's like sort of the first few episodes are just kind of like fun interesting ocean adventure kind of thing like the first episode of islands begins with that like sort of it ends with them setting off you know and like Fern is like gonna like take care of stuff while Finn's gone and stuff like that and then episode two is like there's a sea dragon and he's like really annoying and like there's jellyfish that make them hallucinate and then the this big like colossus of the ocean breaks up their ship and Jake has to be the boat and he's annoyed (laughs) you know um so it's like it's just kind of like mysterious like ocean adventure stuff there's not a lot of heavy plot stuff happening um then in episode three they've all gotten separated by their boat getting smashed up and um Finn finds himself alone on an island with just one old woman who speaks Swedish and it's an island where the weather like wildly vacillates and she shows him these films that seem to indicate that it was like a colony experiment and that everyone else there died a long time ago that they couldn't like survive they all were killed by weather events and animals and things like that and at first like finn is upset because he um thinks that she's all that's left of humanity but um then he like finds out that like jake shows up basically and they're like susan and bimo are both on both somewhere else they're on other islands there are other islands like we have to go find them now right and so then they go on to the next island which is where bimo is and this one's like this one's kind of like more classic sci-fi tropes right well, yeah, so essentially every human there has decided to exist in a pod where they are hooked up to a virtual reality setup and they are taken care of by small, servile robots. Literally watched over by machines of loving grace. Like, they're cute little, like, airplane cloud guys and they give the human smooches. And water and food and all that other good stuff. And we <laughs> sort of see, like, a... The implication is there's a rejection of the real world and its problems. I mean, their society has, they exist in a large futuristic city, which implies that at one time it was prosperous, but it seems the development of virtual reality that was immersive fully resulted in a degeneration of their society. Yeah, like their their city is in ruins, like completely in ruins. 
also like Bimo gets into the virtual reality and is immediately super cool and loves it there. <laughs> yeah, because I mean he's a machine intelligence, so they, yeah, they fucking fit right in. Yeah, definitely. But like, and like Jake. Jake, at one point, he, like, smashes up the virtual reality machine because he's like, this is fucked up. Like, this is, like, dystopian and this is not a way for people to live. And the people all wake up and they're enraged. Um, they would be forming an angry mob, but they're completely ineffectual because they're completely atrophied. And they've kind of forgotten that in the real world, you can't just say, like, get broadsword and have a broadsword. Um, and like, they're really upset and, and, and Finn's kind of like, I don't know, it seems like they were happier in their virtual reality world, you know? So the little, the cute little robot guys like repair everything and they leave all these people to just be in their pods and like live in virtual reality and, and just move on, you know? And it's kind of a question is like, like clearly it has caused like society to like degenerate um but from based on their own perception these people aren't suffering you know so if they don't feel that they're suffering and they're they're happier this way like is it really wrong like is it a wrong way to live you know i feel like I don't know if you 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 haven't played the Fallout series of games probably, but I feel like this is this is like a fucking quest that would have appeared in a game like that where you're used to very simple moral quest choices and this is like what do you do? Do you unhook them? Do you destroy the machine forever? Do you leave them? And there's really no it it's very much a relativistic moral exercise. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is, you know. It's 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 difficult and they like they ultimately decide that it's like well if they're happier this way then what right do we have to like tell them that they're wrong? Pers- is what they ultimately decide on. Personally, I would have destroyed the machine. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I haven't spent enough time pondering this question. They're they're essentially committing suicide as a society. Yeah. yeah, but like in a way, in a way, you can argue that like what makes like suicide an undesirable outcome is that it causes pain for other people. But like in this one, everyone's doing it. So there's no one for it to like cause pain to. I mean, I and well, I guess like it's like a utilitarian argument. Yeah. So I was about to say, like, I think your moral framework will prescribe different interventions. Like, yeah, absolutely. If you're a Kantian, like the question is, is suicide would would that be acceptable in all cases, for example, or like the relativist is going to say, like, it very much depends on the environment or like a person whose morality centers around living, like propagating life, this leaving them would be immoral. So. Yeah. And I'm definitely not a Kantian because like to me, Kantianism is fucking stupid because it's like, no, there's like, I'm sorry. There's nothing that's acceptable in all cases. (laughs) Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I generally do not, prescribed to the categorical imperative either yeah no 
That's not like it's 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 difficult to live your life that way. Just look at fucking Cheaty on the good place, guys. Che- yeah, Cheaty is supposed to be a Kantian parable. Yeah, basically, it's like he suffers and inflicts suffering on everyone around him by his like agonizing over like this hyper strict morality. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the good place. <laughs> um, so the next episode is like it's called hide and seek. And they find Susan, but Susan seems to be in somewhat of like a fugue state. She's not really noticing that they're there and is just like walking around an island that is also in a state of like destruction, disrepair, and no one is there. And she's having flashbacks to her previous life. And it's grim. It's like really grim. I mean, this is this is a fully functioning futuristic human colony but it's a totalitarian state where people are not allowed to leave or even consider leaving people who do such are known as hiders and children from birth who are basically super soldiers are trained as seekers to find the hiders and bring them back for re-education they say that word they say re-education yeah yeah, exactly. It's like um, the, they've also identified these two other classes of people that are identified from birth and trained that way, which is, I believe, experimenter, um, which seems to be some kind of scientist or maybe tinkerer or mechanic. Maybe all of those things fit in and helpers who are essentially do- essentially doctors. Um, but like there's an implication that they could also do other things, just that the main thing they're called to do in the society is medical work. Um, We see a lot of other people, so the assumption is that there are other classes like this and that everyone fits into a specific class, but there is not a need to, like, reveal what all of them are for the plot of this. There are some mysterious beings known as the Founders who we never see. But we can we can um, infer that um, so we see in stakes a large group of humans like the remainders of humanity, at least in this part of the world, sail away like on a barge. Right. And also in one of the episodes of Islands in the background, you can see a plaza with a large statue of one of those men who Marceline knew who played guitar. There's a statue of him with his guitar there in the background. Yeah, so I... It, it's a really cool callback. Yeah, it is. It's really nice. It's like, you could miss it, too. It's very quick. So, at the... Okay, so the, the really important stuff, because we're about to go over by quite a bit... Um. <laughs> Finn discovers his mom and the story of his parents is told finally. And it's a story of a Marty before he was a shitbag, a story of his mother and how the two met and how they got separated and the eventual eventual consequences of that trauma for Minerva. Uh, we also discovered that the doctor from like way back in reboot and preboot 
fucking resulted in unleashing a virus that killed 60% of the population and 100% of helpers. Which, by the way, this was written before COVID. But man, doesn't it sound like COVID? I was I I was shocked. And so Minerva digitizes herself and uses robots and they're all Minerva. And Finn they get on Minerva's Finn's mom. Yeah, and they they rekindle their relationship, but Minerva tries to she Finn shows her all of his memories of ooh, the fighting one, the struggle ones, and she commands him to stay and she will keep him there by force and she'll digitize him too eventually Finn is able to show through the power of his own experiences right he he gives his testimony to freedom and the end I'm not going to tell you how it ends but the ending is a great ending it's a good Mm -hmm. ending and Finn is able to part from his mom on great terms, having finally achieved a parental relationship that is okay. Yeah, that is not toxic, you know, entirely. It's, it's huge. I mean, you could argue that that is the culmination of the entire experience of the boy Finn. Yeah, and that now you could argue that now, like the the final two seasons of the show are the experience of the man Finn, like the young man Finn, you know? Yeah. Um, I like mean, that he's no longer Finn the human boy, that he's Finn the human young man. God, it sounds so Freudian to be like, you have to deal with the the consequences of your parents to deal with yourself as a person. Um, but look at the way you do, you know? Yeah, they. The whole point of Freud was that your parents essentially tether you to your childhood. And if you can't find a way to get rid of all that energy, you stay that way. And Finn, Finn is able to. And the audience is able to do that for Marty, too. We're able to discover that Marty really was a good father. Yeah. Until he was electrocuted and thrown into the ocean. Implying yeah, exactly. that he has brain damage, we we suspect. And that resulted in a change in his personality and cognition. Yeah, it's either that or like a severe case of PTSD or a combination thereof. Because it's like, he wasn't a great guy. He was a con artist. But he truly did love Minerva and want to be a good husband to her and change his ways, you know, to be her husband and truly love Finn and want to, like, protect him and keep him safe. And in fact, the point at which he sustained that physical and emotional trauma and Finn ended up by himself, like, going to Ooh, was because he was trying to protect Finn. Very sad. There's a lot it's of extremely sad, yeah. There's a lot of good and a lot of sad and a lot of bad in this yeah. 
dense miniseries. Yeah, like, there's even, like, there's a lot of stuff about, like, what happens to a society that is, like, hyper-concerned with safety. Because, like, even before the pandemic that caused Minerva to, like, you know, digitize herself and become, like, on a personal-emotional level, hyper-concerned with safety, um, the entirety of human society is, like, hyper-concerned with safety. And they, um, the reason that they like have totalitarian like that they have surveillance and a secret police and prevent anyone from leaving is because of this concern because of concern with safety they say like if you leave our society you will um like you will you will die like or there's nothing out there for you of value and they end up creating this massive robotic creature that not only keeps things tries to keep things out and away from them but tries to keep them in and the arguments being made like like if we were strong enough to deal with what's past the guardian we'd be strong enough to get past him you know like if we were strong enough to get past the guardian we wouldn't need him right and so this is a safety where it's like Clearly, and also the reason we see from stakes that the humans leave to begin with is to seek out safety because things have become too violent and unpredictable on mainland ooh, so they need to get away from it. And that's like filtered down through a thousand years of like growing technology and dealing with situations that came up. And at some point they decided that um, probably because of like a population concern, you know, that people couldn't be allowed to leave. And then now you have this, like, society where, like, everyone's essentially in a very pleasant prison. Kid show. Yeah. <laughs> um, overall, these are two very pleasant seasons that go by faster than you would expect. And oh, yeah. the show has matured quite a bit. And I'm really excited to see what happens in the next two seasons. Yeah, they're they're really, really good. I think you're going to really enjoy them. Um, can't wait to talk about them. Yeah, this has been an adventure time. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we um, go, you know. But um, we're, I, I feel satisfied with what we've done. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that the, that you will also feel satisfied after watching seasons nine and 10, which are really quick. Um, they're only like season nine is 13 episodes and season 10 is 16 episodes. So they, are really brief it's just kind of after this point we just kind of like race to the finish line you know wow mm -hmm. <laughs> wow <laughs> owen wilson wow 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 <laughs> um but yeah that's about um all i that's you know all i've got to say really about season seven and eight um, like, it's not all I have to say. I could talk for hours about it, but we've already been talking for at least an hour and a half. Um, and that's pushing the limit. So, um, 
you know, just since I've been noting it at the end of each Adventure Time episode, if you want to watch along, the next episode we're going to be covering seasons 9 and 10. So just go ahead and watch those if you want to keep up with us. Yeah, excellent. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time. Thank you all for mm-hmm. listening. Yes, thank you. Um, as always, I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates. If you want to reach us on social media, you can do so on Facebook at Animates Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Animates. Or via good old Gmail, Animates at gmail.com with a numeral 8 instead of the later letters A-T. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It makes the algorithm work better and helps other people find the show, which is our fondest hope and desire. And as always, from the bottom of our hearts, thanks for listening.